May 13th, 2022. We're in Masechet Sanhedrin and Samech Zayin Amudbet, the very last words on the page. This morning's class and the classes throughout the week were dedicated in memory of Norman Esses Alav HaShalom Bajawi Esses and family. Tehini Hayim Amen. Additionally, the class is dedicated for the swift and speedy recovery of Baruch Ben Rosa. He should have a refuah shalema. Amen. The Gemara here at the very bottom brings us back to the Mishnah very briefly. The Mishnah had Rabbi Akiva talking about a Mechashef. He described how a person can be doing to the eye, it would appear, the same action. In one circumstance, he's liable to death penalty as Kishuf, as a sorcerer. In the other circumstance, shouldn't have done it, Patura Valasur. It's Asur, but nonetheless, he won't be punished by death. What's the circumstance? It's Ohezetayinaim. It's within the domain, it appears, of witchcraft, sorcery, but he's not doing a ma'aseh. The example specifically that Rabbi Akiva gave, it says that he says it in the name of Rabbi Yehoshua. He says there can be a person who's dealing with kishu'in, with uh, cucumbers of some sort, uh, collect, collecting them and then placing them in a basket or in a pile. He can do that without you seeing his hands touching those cucumbers, and he can be liable to death penalty. He did it with kishuf. He cut them and he piled them up while you're watching him with kishuf. Or alternatively, he cuts them with kishuf, but not a regular kishuf, and achizat ainaim, and as a result, he won't be liable to death penalty. It's the way Rabbi Akiva articulates the difference between mechashefa and achizat ainaim. But again, the most critical, really, the only critical line in that for our purposes today is that Rabbi Akiva says it in the name of Rabbi Yehoshua. Classically, Rabbi Akiva has two primary influences in terms of Talmud Torah. It's Rabbi Yehoshua ben Hananiah and Rabbi Eliezer ben Hurkanus. And the Gemara at the very onset says, Veha Rabbi Akiva me Rabbi Yehoshua gamirla, at the very top of Tafsamech Het Amud Aleph. This matter, this Mechashefa, this Kishuf issue, Rabbi Akiva learned it, Gamir Melashon Gemara, he studied it with Rabbi Yehoshua. Is that really so? Veha Tanya, doesn't the Beraita teach us that Rabbi Akiva, and we'll get up to it in the story that we're about to read, learnt these laws, or rather these doings, from Rabbi Eliezer. That, of course, will be the question. The punchline in answering this question will be anticlimactic because we're going to have such a, a story and descriptions and, and, and elaborations that when we get to the punchline, we barely even remember what the Gemara was dealing with. So I'm going to tell you the punchline. It's at the very bottom of the page right now. The answer will be, although he initially learned it with Bili Ezer, he f- didn't understand it fully, so Rabbi Yehoshua then came and supplemented it. So when the Mishnah quotes Rabbi Akiva in the name of Rabbi Yehoshua, that was, ultimately speaking, how he learned these doings and these laws. Initially, however, he did learn it from Abilieh. So that's the punchline on the larger picture. I gave it to you now. But what about the meat in the middle? Says the Gemara, Vehatanya, doesn't the Beraita teach the following? Keshehala Abilieh. When Abilieh is at the end of his life, it's a story that will lead up to his final moment in life. Rabbi Akiva, again, one of the primary students of Rabbi Eliezer, uh, together with his friends who also studied with Rabbi Eliezer, came to, uh, to, to Levakero, literally means to greet, but it means Bikur Cholim, they're coming to visit the sick, their rabbi Rabbi Eliezer. Rabbi Eliezer and Biyoshua were both students of Rabban Yohanan ben Zakai, we'll come back to that in a moment, but they're primary students of one, it's in the second chapter of Masechet Avot, but here is Rabbi Akiva and his friends 
visiting their rabbi which will, in, on, a, on a, uh, an occasion that will be the end of his life. Who Yosef Bikinof Shelo, Kinof, the Gemaran Masechet Sukkan Davtet talks about a Kinof, and Davyot talks about a Kinof. Rashi over there and over here explains it's a bed like item with like a canopy on top. It's got four poles and a canopy on top. Anyway, that's what Bili Ezer is lying or sitting. Vehen Yoshevin Bitraklin Shelo, and they alternatively are just in his home. They're not on the bed with him. Veoto Hayom, we might talk about the significance in a moment. Veoto Hayom, Erev Shabbataya. It happens to be that it was a Friday when they came to visit Rabbi Li'ezer, the sick rabbi. V'nichnas hurkanus beno lahalot tefilav. Hurkanus, the son of Rabbi Li'ezer, entered to take off his tefillin. What's his tefillin? Is it Hurkanus' tefillin or is it Rabbi Li'ezer's tefillin? Not clear Rashi's interpretation over here is it's Rabbi Li'ezer's tefillin. So the son comes in to help his father in taking off his tefillin. Rashi is really supplemented by Talmud Yerushalmi in the final line of this story after Rabbi Li'ezer passes away, Hurkanus takes off ultimately speaking, the tefillin that he had initially entered for. We'll discuss the significance in a moment as well. Anyway, as he comes in, let's translate it like Rashi, to take off the tefillin of his father. So the rabbis are sitting around watching this take place. Rabbi Ezer is actually entering into the room, going up to the bed. Ga'arbo, Rabbi Ezer uh, yells at his son. Yasa ben the son, Hurkanus, walks out of the room and he's embarrassed. He's embarrassed, my father just yelled at me. He didn't let me do what I wanted to do. Hurkanus turns to the friends, the students, the Rabbi, the Rabbi Akiva and the others who had come to greet, to visit Rabbi It appears to me that dad, that my father, his mind is nitrefa. Taraf taraf Yosef means that he, it's, it's meeting its end. His mind, his mindset, his cognition is not really there any longer. I went to help him out, I went to take off tefillin, and he yelled at me. Maybe it's not appropriate to be meeting with him right now. Amar lahen, hearing this take place, listening to his son say that, yells out, Da'ato miyushevet v'da'at imo nitrefa. Or alternatively, da'ato v'da'at imo nitrefa, like Rashi has it. Uh, what, what, what is Rabbi counterclaim? What does he yell after his son? Is that I'm not the one whose mind is, is being lost. It's my son and my wife's minds which appear to be lost. Why so? He'ach manichin isur sikila ve'oskin isur shivut. How is it that instead of being nervous about the Isur of Sikila, of being put to death, a severity of death penalty of the highest, they're not interested in dealing with that. Instead, they're focused on Isur Shevut, on a rabbinic prohibition and gezerah. What's he referring to? Rashi explains what he's referring to. He says, you're so busy, my son Hurkanus, coming to take off tefillin on Erev Shabbat, which at most is an Isun Midrabbanan, it's a Shivut, wearing your tefillin on Shabbat. We'll explain why in a second. That in so doing, you're not focused on the preparation for Shabbat. My wife hasn't lit candles. She'll end up lighting them on Shabbat. Hava'ara is an Isur Min HaTorah, Sikilah on Shabbat. My son hasn't done the hatmana. He hasn't appropriately prepared the food. He's going to be over in Isur of Mevashel potentially on Shabbat. You guys busy with this Isur Midrabanan lost your values, your perspective. You're the ones who have the mind which is lost. Not me. 
Why is tefillin only in Isu Midrabbaran? What is the problem with tefillin on Shabbat? The Gimaran Masech Menachotan Daf Lamid Vav records the opinion that Shabbat is Lav Ziman Tefillin. There are two interpretations. The one Sharon just mentions, the more famous one, and that is that we wear tefillin on days which are not already an ot. The tefillin are ot aliadecha. They represent some sort of sign and signet between ourselves and Akadosh Baruch Hu as a berit, as a covenant. Shabbat is already oti benu benechem, and as a result, we don't wear tefillin, it's unnecessary. Does that mean there's an isur per se? Not per se, but as Rashi points out here on our Gemara, there is a gezerah from the rabbis that you'll go out into Rishut Rabim with your tefillin on, that's still not a problem because tefillin we considered malbush. It's a tachshit, a clothing. We can wear clothing out into the street. You can even wear a watch or a necklace or an earring as, as a woman would. That's tachshitim. That's not asur. But there's a gezerah that you might take it off in Rishut Rabim and then walk for Amot, six feet. That's the gezerah. So say the rabbis, don't wear it. You're exempt from it. Don't wear it on Shabbat, says Rabbi Ezer to his son. That's what you're nervous about now on Ayat of Shabbat? What about the meaty issues? What about the real matters? Sekilah. The rabbinic matters is what's on your mind. Nitrefa da'atchem, not my da'at. There's an interesting comment that emerges from over here that the Rishonim point out, and that is, We'll, it'll, we'll in a second have to mention it, but it's worth mentioning now. Rabbi Li'ezah, the Gemara Masech Bava Metziana, very famous Gemara, and Tet, describes what's called Tanur Shel Achnai, very bottom of the page, going into Amud Bet. Tanur Shel Achnai was this well-known encounter between Rabbi Li'ezah and the Hachamim. They're debating the status, without getting into the details, of an oven, whether this oven, after being rebuilt, is susceptible to Tum'ah and Tahara. Does it now receive Tum'ah or not? That's the question with regard to did it lose its status after after being dismantled and being put back together? Smachlok Rabbi Ezer claims tahor. The Hachamim say tamer. Rabbi Ezer so passionate about his opinion needs to prove it. So he begins appealing to nature, and nature has it after Rabbi Ezer states so that the river which was flowing in one direction flows the other way to prove his point. The tree which was in the ground becomes uprooted to prove his point. The walls of the midrash begin to crumble because Rabbi Ezer says if the halach like me, they'll fall down, and that's what's happening until, of course, they pause. Nobody gets harmed. The wall stays slanted. Ultimately speaking, the story reaches its climax when Rabbi Ezra says, if the halakha is like me, the heavens will declare it. And, of course, a batkol, a heavenly voice, comes out and says, halakha could be the Ezra. He's right. You'd imagine Rabbi Ezra walks away, validated instead. The rabbis distance themselves from him. Beliezer has nidui. Beliezer has pronounced upon him excommunication. Why so? He proved his point. He was right. Akadosh Baruch the heavens. The nature seems to be validating him. Says Rabbi Yehoshua, lo He halacha is not determined by the heavenly domain. Akadosh Baruch crafted, made for us a Torah and handed it to us for interpretation. It's true we're tapping into and seeking truth, but ultimately speaking, we can't prove it from quote unquote his opinion, it's our opinion, which is in the collective nation of Am Yisrael, the binding one. That's the story about Abili Ezer, which means Abili Ezer, at this moment, and we'll see it very clearly in our Gemara, is Benidui, he's excommunicated. The men who are coming to visit him cannot be within six feet of him. We'll read about that in just a moment. He's putting on tefillin. The Gemara Masech Moed Katan and Tetvav has a safek whether a minudeh, a person who's excommunicated, is allowed to be putting on tefillin. Tefillin, after all, a mourner on 
day one of their mourning aren't supposed to wear tefillin either. The pasuk says, We don't wear tefillin on day one of Avelut. It's not so simple today, but regardless uh, as to how it plays out today, but that's the halacha. It's a gemara and several places. As a result, why is he wearing this tefillin? It's a safek in the gemara whether he's supposed to be wearing tefillin. According to Rashi's interpretation, it's his tefillin which were on him. Says Ritva in an important Billy Ezra cares about everything until the end. Billy Ezra stands for. I, I gotcha. Billy Ezra is a very delicate and, and, and hard to understand circumstance to a large extent, which we'll hopefully tease out, but the answer has to be yes. I mean, it's Billy Ezra. What's that? If the son didn't say what he said, he was going to let them roll the Shabbat Without preparing those things? No, I would imagine those things were going to get taken care of. I think he's talking more about priorities. It's your priority to take off my tefillin before you lit and before you prepared. It seems to me you have your priorities, your values mixed up. Can't be who's actually going to allow for it. Anyway, his tefillin are on, and uh, as a result, Ritva points out, and as I recall, Ritva says, no, it's it's not a contradiction. Sometimes the Gemara does that. Sometimes the Gemara doesn't come to a conclusion, and then they throw you a bone later on. Sometimes you'll develop and you'll discover the answer to one sugya and an altogether different one. That's the way the Gemara was organized. It was leaving open at times ends which will only be closed up elsewhere. Rabbi Eliezer, in fact, the Gemara Masechet Berachot has Rabbi Eliezer seems to be intent and fascinated with Tefillin, which very much fits his midar. Biliezer interprets the pasuk in Sefer Devarim, they're going to fear you, the nations of the world, because they see the name of God pronounced upon you. Says Biliezer, you want to know how then, what they're going to see on you? That's Biliezer Hagadol. Biliezer stands for the Shem Hashem being on his head, stands to reason as well. It's up until the last minute of, Shabbat, of, of the entrance of Shabbat, his tefillin will be on his head. Anyway, that's what's taking place here in the story of Biliezer. So they're greeting him. He's now set his son in place. He tells them, I'm fine. My cognition is here. Once the rabbis, Rabbi Akiva, realize, well, Rabbi Eliezer, our rabbi, he's still all there. And so maybe we should be speaking to him. It does, he does appear ill. does appear to be on his last breaths. We're not going to be invading sacred space of his own if he can't think properly. He can. They enter, but instead of sitting right next to the bed, they keep a six-foot distance. That's the halacha with regards to a minudeh. person's excommunicated. He can't enter within their four amot, their personal domain. So they're standing, standing and sitting at a distance. He turns to them. What are you doing here? Now again, what type of question is that? We're here because you're a rabbi. We study Torah. Keep in mind... You haven't in the past. I've been excommunicated for some time. You haven't talked to me. It's been a suit for you to learn Torah. What are you doing now? We're here to study Torah. And you'll understand his midah in just a moment. And until now, where you been? How come you didn't come? Now? Now as I'm lying on my bed, that's when you came to study Torah? Uh, they can't answer. It's inappropriate. It's a chutzpah to say because you're excommunicated. It's their rabbi yeah, treating him with honor, with dignity. We didn't have time. Panu, you mean something that's open. We didn't have the open time. 
We would have wanted to study with you. We weren't able to. Amar lahen says Rabbi Eliezer to his students, I wonder whether they'll die a death in their appropriate time. It's a very sharp word. Rabbi Eliezer is constantly very sharp. He's not cursing them, but he's speaking very harshly. I don't know that these people are going to be able to live their lives fully. In other words, he's suspecting them of lying in this moment, and he's furthermore let down. How have you let this happen that we haven't studied for all this time? Amar lo Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Akiva, listening and taking his rabbi to Bili'a very seriously, says to him, tell me about my own death. How do you envision that? Do you have a moment right now in which you can see what it might be? Your death will be more severe and harsh than any of your friends. And of course, that's, that's almost a Ruach HaKodesh Akiva's death was told about in two places in the Gemara was a harsh and brutal death by way of the Romans. Natal then takes his two arms and he places them on his heart. He's not a Navi. The Gemara himself, two, two points on that. First and foremost, the Gemara says, Gemara about Rabili Ezer, the Midrash about Rabili Ezer says that there was a time, we saw this about Shemuel HaKatan earlier in our Masechet, the Midrash has it about Rabili Ezer, our same Rabili Ezer, that the rabbis were gathered together and they had this heavenly voice which says to them, there's a person here who's worthy for Ruach HaKodesh, but this generation is not worthy for it. They look at Rabili Ezer. The Gemara in several places seems to describe people who had a perception which rose to not nivu'ah per se, but ruach hakodesh. They were able to tap into truth. Rab Chaim Kanievsky, Allah Hashem, in his book. No, it's a person who has a depth of perception, who has an ability to focus and notice the world around them to a way and in a fashion that's beyond that of other people's capacities. Rab Chaim Kanievsky, in his book, Or Hot Yosha, as I remember reading, got that book from my bar mitzvah. I read, I read a bunch of it at the time. I, haven't, I should go back to it now. Anyways, I recall what he has in it. He quotes the Gemara that from the end of, Hanan, of uh, Haggai Malacha, uh, from, the, from the end of the last three prophets, Haggai Zechariah and Malachi says the Gemara Batela Nebuami Israel says Rabbi Chaim Kanievsky says but we look around and we've heard the stories and we've encountered people who seem to have a depth of perception and understanding says Rabbi Chaim Kanievsky when the Gemara tells us we no longer have Nebuah after the second Beit HaMikdash it means of that level it doesn't mean there's not a lower level tapping into truth there still is without any Kishuf without any Ov or Yidde'oni and so forth that's what he's seeing and perceiving and in this moment now that's interesting so he places his hand his arms on his heart and he says Amar oy lachem otai. A woe is to you my two arms shehen kishte sifre Torah sheniglalin uh, so to speak like sifre Torah which are being wrapped up I'm placing my arms on my heart my heart being so to speak the pulsating truth which could come out and now here is the kelaf which is being covered which is covering the words which lie inside and so he's bemoaning the fact in the moment that he hasn't been able to share his Torah appropriately. His arms are covering his heart. He's saying, my Torah has been covered up. I studied much Torah in my life. And I taught a lot of Torah. Much of the Torah that I learned. However, in reaching, or so to speak, um, bridging the gap between myself, myself and my rabbis and in finding a way to rise to their level 
I didn't even come close. I was like a, a dog which goes to the ocean and licks up the water. How much of the water did it take away? How much closer did it come to encapsulating the ocean? Nothing. The ocean is huge. It's vast. It's, its expanse is, is, is beyond our imagination. So the, the caliph hamilaklek minayam, what has he achieved in drinking a little bit of it? You're not drying out the ocean in such a fashion. My perception of my rabbi's Torah came that close. Not even close at all. I taught much Torah, my own students, in bridging the gap between myself and them, in being yored, and understanding me and knowing, there's a tube, it's like women still put on eyelash or something, eyelash stuff for their, their cosmetics, and you place inside of it some sort of brush. So you place inside the tube the brush, or imagine it like a paintbrush and uh, some sort of container with the paint. You stick it inside and you take it, take it out. So there's some material on it, maybe the eyelash substance, or there's the paint on it. You look at the paint bottle, you took it to, look at the tube, it still looks as if it's full. They didn't take out all that much. You took out a little bit and then you applied it. That's my students to me. They didn't really come close to this full understanding to actually capturing who I am and my Torah. It's interesting that Abili Ezra is likening himself in this moment to a Sefer Torah. Makes sense. The Gemara Masech Mu'id Katan says, when a person passes away, you do Kiri'ah if you're in the presence of them because we envision it as a Sefer Torah Shenisraf. We're looking at that moment as if their essence, their being is being lost. That's the essence of a Sefer Torah. But Abiliezer, even more so, Abiliezer, the Gemara Masech Tzotan Dach Memtet, when it talks about the loss of many of the great Tanaim, the Gemara describes, the Beraita describes, when this one was lost, this is what was lost. When that rabbi was lost, this one says, Mishemet nignaz Torah. The death of Rabbi Eliezer was like the loss of a Sefer Torah. The Midrash has that Rabbi Yoshua comes up to a Midrash and Shirim Rabbah comes up to an even to a rock which Rabbi Eliezer had sat on in the past. And he looks at that rock and he says, This rock seems to me like Har Sinai. And the person who sat on that rock, Yoshua referring to Rabbi Eliezer was like the Aaron Kodesh. It was like the the holder of Torah. That's how Rabbi Eliezer is understood by others. Rabbi Eliezer very much is associated with truth of Torah, the unadulterated Torah. Rabbi Eliezer, Masechet Sukan, Dafkafchet says about himself that he never said something he didn't hear from his rabbis. Very different than the other rabbis in the Mishnah and in the Gemara. His creative capacity he held in. His vision for how things could and should work is direct. I give over the Masoret as I received it. It's for that reason I bring you back to the story we mentioned earlier. Rabbi Eliezer is tapping into the heavens to find truth in Torah. The rabbis, Rabbi Yoshua, turned to him and said, Lo Rabbi Eliezer represents Torah Shibichtav itself. He's, so to speak, the mouthpiece of Kivyachol HaKadosh Baruch Hu and Moshe. The people now are interpreting. But they turned to him and they said, that's not our way. That's not our tradition. We go based on majority ruling of our interpretation. You can tap into that. As a result as well, Talmud Yerushalmi and Tosafot quotes it in one or two places. He's known as in the Gemara, Shamuti. Shamuti, the understanding is he's a student of Shammai. He has that approach of Dean of Bet Shammai. He stands for the letter of the law as it is. That's the Rabbi Eliezer personality that emerges over here. That's his Midah as well. 
So he's turning to them and he says, my Torah has been covered. I once saw in the book Beit Yishai, Beit Yishai is a Rabbi Shlomo Fisher, Alav HaShalom, just passed away a few months ago. He compares this Gemara, if I remember correctly, to the Gemara in Masechi Ketubot and Dafkof Dalid. The Gemara over there describes the death of Rabbi Huda Hanasi. Rabbi, Rabbi Huda Hanasi, if you know about him, he's the author, the editor of the Mishnayot. How different is the life, is the midah of Rabbi Yudah HaNasi and Rabbi Li'ezer? Whereas Rabbi Li'ezer, we just described this Bashamayim. He's the one who's the Nignasefe Torah. He's the one whose Torah, the Torah itself is being covered up on him. Rabbi Yudah HaNasi, he's the one who's bringing that out, is he not? The Gemara over there on Daf Kofdal, it describes how Rabbi Yudah HaNasi at the end of his life outstretches his ten fingers and speaks to HaKadosh Baruch Hu exclaiming, I've done with these fingers everything I could in the domain and, and, and the, the sphere of Torah. Listen to the difference, whereas Rabbi Eliezer covers his heart and says, the Sefer Torah, the Torah Shebikhtav, is shrouded in mystery. You're not understanding, I'm just passing over what I heard, that Rabbi Udah Nasi, the exposer of it, the, the Ba'aretz, as opposed to the Bashamai of Rabbi Eliezer, he outstretches his hands, he opens them up, he's the one who's interpreting it, he represents that other side of the coin, the difference between Rabbi Eliezer and Rabbi Hoshua, Rabbi Eliezer and Rabbi Udah Nasi. Says the Gemara onward in telling this story, you should know, I'm still studying, I'm still teaching, and throughout my life, you should know, says Rabbi Eliezer, keep in mind the context, he's bemoaning the fact that he hasn't taught enough, that his students have haven't been seeking enough. He's been excommunicated all this time. They haven't actually tried enough, he feels. In the context of Negaim. Negaim is a hard domain. It was the bottom of the last page. We had turning to Rabbi Akiva and telling him, go study Aholot and Negaim. Negaim is a hard domain. Very few people study that today. Even when it was more relevant, the Halakha. Hard stuff to understand what's tameh, what's not tameh, is this tahor, is this, all that is very difficult stuff to perceive, to wrap your head around. The laws are very intricate. He says, I have 300 laws in one detail uh, called Baheret Azah. And nobody ever asked me about them. It was all kept inside here. This covered Sefer Torah of mine, my traditions that I've been seeking and looking to pass over, never been able to do so. Uh, furthermore, I have 300, some say, he said, 3,000 halachot benetiat kishuin. Yad Kishuin brings us back to our issue in the planting of cucumbers. Now, of course, he's not referring to the physical agricultural planting of cucumbers. He's talking about the kishuf of cucumber planting, of how you can do it and, and have it planted with kishuf and have it uprooted with kishuf. The laws that surround it, I have 300, 3,000 insights. Nobody ever asked me about them. I was never able to teach that wellspring of knowledge that I have. Hoot, except for, here's the critical line for our sugya, Akiva ben Yosef, except for Akiva ben Yosef. We're about to read the story about that. Now we're coming full circle. Remember the way we started this Gemara? Did Rabbi Akiva learn about Hilchot Kishuin, Neti'at, Ve'akirat Kishuin from Rabbi Yoshua or from Rabbi Li'ezer? From this story, Rabbi Li'ezer is attesting himself. He's determined, he's describing how he taught Rabbi Akiva. How did he do, do so? Pa'amahat, one time, Ani ve'hu, he and I, Rabbi Akiva, 
Akivan myself says to Bili, as a Mehalechina, you know, we were walking on the path, we were walking together. Amarli, my student Rabbi Akiva said to me, Rabbi, Lamedeni Beniti'at Kishuin, please teach me the ways of Niti'at Kishuin, the witchcraft, the sorcery that goes into this cucumber planting and uprooting. Amarti Davar Ehad, I said one thing, I uttered one word, it sounds like. Or one sentence. Immediately we looked at the field and the field was filled with cucumbers. It's called kishuf. Abiliezer is teaching his student kishuf. The Gemara, of course, and I don't know if we'll get to it, we won't get to it today. In the very last lines we'll ask, seriously? He's teaching kishuf? That's permitted? You're not supposed to be involved in this at all. And Abiliezer is Masoret and Torah speaking kishuf. I mean, again, it's worse than that. You're not allowed to talk it. Period. Got about Torah on. Amar li Rabbi limaditani nitiatan. Rabbi says Rabbi Akiva to his rabbi Rabbi Eliezer, you taught me the way of planting with kishuf cucumbers. Lamedeni akiratan. Can you teach me now how to uproot them? Amarti davare had. I said one thing. Nitkabesukulan lemakom had. Then all those cucumbers gathered together. This is what we saw described in our Mishnah. There's ways of doing it with maase, which is hayav sekila. There's ways of doing it with achizat enaim, which is patura valasur. But we'll pause here for a moment and realize that's the question of the Gemara. Of course, we have to answer it. I told you the answer already. But that's the contradiction. Did Rabbi Eliezer teach Rabbi Akiva Hilchot Nitiat Kishuim Ba'akiratan? Or was it Rabbi Yoshua, as our Mishnah has it? But the Gemara continues in this story. The Beraita continues. Amrulo, the rabbis now turn to Rabbi Eliezer on his deathbed, and they want to understand something. Now, it's not fully clear why they're asking him these questions. First and foremost, Tosafot and Rashi point out what they're about to ask him all these questions. They've had disputes with him in the past. Is he going to stand by his word? Or did he change a little over all this time in which he was excommunicated? Of course, you might guess it. I would hope you would. Rabbi Eliezer will stand his ground. Rabbi Eliezer doesn't, doesn't, doesn't move one iota. Again, he attested to himself, I never did or said anything different than my rabbis told me. That's the way it is for Rabbi Eliezer. What's that? That's right. That's right. So, I mean, I mean, she has Masoret even on that. Anyway, uh, so, uh, but they're asking him that to see that at the end. They, uh, so, some suggest from here you're supposed to speak words of Torah with a person at the end of their life. They will catch him, thankfully, on the word Tahor. He'll be stating, we'll see it in a moment, the halakha in one circumstance, it's Tahor. tahor In his life, his soul departs on that word Tahor, which is something beautiful the Gemara has in the eyes of the Hachamim to the extent that he's almost validated in his mission throughout. But here it is. Here's the questions they ask him. Amru lo, they ask him, Hakadur, a ball, a ball which has leather on the outside and rags of some sort inside. That's case. Ha'amus, that's the frame of a shoe. Similarly, has leather on the outside and some sort of uh, uh, fabric on the inside. Ha'kamea, kamea is an amulet, and we're dealing with the covering, the leather covering of an amulet. Someone carries around an amulet, which the Gemara mentions in several places, it's got a leather covering on it. Usror ha'margaliot, or the, uh, the, the leather uh, case of, uh, of jewelry, of, of pearls of some sort. Umishkolo, or the leather encasement of a small measuring stone. You would use measuring stones if you were selling 
I don't know, busy in the marketplace, you needed to be able to measure what's a pound, what's a kilo, and so forth. You had that. Now, in each of these circumstances, very briefly, the halakha they're talking about, these are kele or, these are utensils made of leather. And the halakha, when it comes to utensils made of leather, whether they're susceptible to tum'ah or not. Again, not everything is susceptible to tum'ah when we deal with the halachot of something that can become impure or not. The halakha, when it comes to leather objects and items, is they need to have a keli kibul, they need to be a receptacle of something in order to be considered susceptible, approachable with regards to Tumah. Something Tameh touches them, do they receive that? Only if it has a Kili Kibul. Do all these things have a Kili Kibul? After all, they're generally speaking, if not always, closed. The ball is closed. The shoe is closed. That's its purpose. These pouches are generally speaking closed. There's things in them. Is that considered a Kili Kibul? doesn't look like a Kili Kibul. It's rarely, if ever, opened. Amar lahen hen he stands by his word. He says that is considered a klikibul. Don't imagine as if it's always closed. It gets open, has the possibility to be open, and as a result, they have the status of tameh v'taharatan bima. And how do you purify them? This as well, the rabbis disagreed. Bimashehen, uh, excuse me, and they're purified in their fashion. You don't need to empty out the inside in order to purify them. Again, they became tameh, something of tumah touched the ball, the pouch, the uh, shoe frame. And in this circumstance, what you're dealing with in each of these situations, how do I purify it now? Do I need to take out the inside fabric or do I just immerse this in the, uh, in the mikveh? Really, Isa's opinion is there's no hatita. The inside stuff becomes part of the product. You put it in as it is. The hachamim disagree. He stands by his word. I, I should mention the, the shoe frame is a little bit more complicated. The shoe frame has to do with, I forgot, Rashi points this out. The shoe frame has to do with not that the foot is always inside of it, it's that the shoe is technically speaking done, it just needs to be taken off of the frame at this point. So the question is, is it finished in its production or do you need to wait for the craftsman to take it off and only then, because when something's not finished as a product, it, no, it doesn't receive tumah yet. If I'm in the middle of crafting this table, it's not mikabel tumah until I put the final touch on it. That's called gemar keli. Is this considered a gemar keli? After all, you and I who don't know anything I think about crafting shoes can take it off. It doesn't need a craftsman to take it off. Does that last step, is that last step considered part of the process or not? Anyway, so he stands by his word in each of these circumstances, continues uh, the hachamim, min al shal tahor. And what about the shoe? That's what I'm talking about right now. The shoe which is on the frame. What's the halakha in that circumstance? He says to them about that as well, tahor. What's his final word? He says to them, that situation, you haven't finished creating the item which is on the frame until it's actually taken off. He says to them, Tahor, it's not a finished product. And in that moment or immediately afterwards, His life ends, his soul departs on the word Tahor with purity. How do we react to this situation? You have to know excommunication doesn't only extend to one's lifetime, it extends beyond. Is Abiliezer still? excommunicated, we haven't relieved him, we haven't gotten together and said that we are giving up on this excommunication. Amad Rabbi Yoshua al-Raglav, Rabbi Yoshua, who apparently was sitting, stands up, the Amar hutar ha-neder, hutar ha-neder, he exclaims, the neder, that nidui, that excommunication has been relieved. He ended with tahara. We now are relieving him of that neder. Le Motzei Shabbat on Saturday night, Pagat bo Rabbi Akiva, min kesari lelod. 
Rabbi Akiva on that Saturday night encounters the uh, the Aron, the, uh, the the casket of Rabbi Eliezer, his rabbi, on its way from Kesari to Lod. It's a little difficult why it's going from Kesari to Lod. The Gemaran Daf Lamid Bet told us that if you're seeking the Bet Midrash of Rabbi Eliezer, you'll find it in Lod. Rabbi Eliezer spent most of his life in Lod. Why was he in Kesari over here? What's that? But they say excommunication at your home. It appears, perhaps, this is the suggestion of Rashash and others, maybe he was there for medical reasons. Alternatively, it's not that, as Rashi explains, it's not that the casket was going from Kesari to Lod, it's Rabbi Akiva was coming from Kesari to Lod, where the casket, where, the, where he was. And now they're going to bury him as a non-excommunicated oh, rabbi. Rabbi Akiva, seeing his rabbi dead, he starts hitting his flesh. Until his blood, his blood starts dripping down to the ground. How's he doing so? Tosafot asks this question. The Torah forbids seret lanefesh. The Torah in last week's parasha, parashat Kedoshim, says you're not allowed to scratch. It's It's the ways of the idolaters on someone who passes away. Akiva, you really doing that? Says Tosafot, that's not why he's, he's, he's uh, bringing forth the blood. He's bringing forth the blood, as he says in a moment, because he's regretting that he didn't learn enough Torah through Beliezer. If you do it over sorrow and agony for the death, that's also from the Torah. If you do it for the Torah, that's permitted. Ritva and Masech and Makot and Davkaf Aleph alternatively suggest the Torah says you're not allowed to scratch. Rabbi Akiva, listen to the words, Makel Bisaro. He's smashing himself. That's not forbidden. It's only if you do it like the ways of the idolaters. That's that's why it was per- permitted. As Rabbi Akiva is doing so, the rabbis are in line dealing with the burial of their rabbi, Rabbi Eliezer, and Rabbi Akiva begins speaking and he says, Amar avi avi He exclaims the words of Elisha as he sees Eliyahu ascending to the heavens. Avi avi, our father in Torah and Chokmah, Eliyahu, and in turn you, Rabbi Eliezer, you represent the chariot of God, Ufarashav, and its, and, its, and its horses. In other words, you were the bastion, you were the force of Torah for our generation, which indeed, we understand that Beliezer is, so to speak, reincarnate of Moshe Rabbeinu. The Midrash, in fact, has Moshe Rabbeinu speaking about Beliezer and saying, I want him to be from my descendants. Um, I have many coins. And the way it once worked was you had coins. You had to make certain they were usable coins. Who'd you go to? You went to the money changer. So I have many coins. I have many questions. I need to know if they're appropriate questions. How do I deal with them? I don't have the, uh, the money lender to turn to to tell me are these good uh, monies or not are these coins usable or not I've lost my rabbi who do I ask my questions to now Alma says the Gemara it's clear Rabbi Eliezer Gamera we learned this from Rabbi Eliezer Rabbi Akiva learned Ilchot Kishuin Etiat Akirat Kishuin from Rabbi Eliezer not from Yoshua as our Mishnah says says the Gemara Gamera Mir Rabbi Eliezer Velo Savera he learned it from Rabbi Eliezer initially but he wasn't able to really wrap his head around it he didn't get it as a result, he went afterwards to Rabbi Yehoshua, and Rabbi Yehoshua, ve'aspera nihalen, he taught it to him. Says the Gemara in its final line, I'm sorry, hechi avid how did he do so? How are you teaching the laws of Kishuf? It's a sort to do Kishuf. Ve'ha'anantenan, doesn't the Mishnah tell us? Ha'oseh ma'aseh hayav, that explicitly you're not allowed to do acts. You're hayav sekilaf, you do acts of Kishuf. After all, we're now understanding Rabbi Yehoshua taught 
to Rabbi Akiva the ways through doing it. It's not as if he spoke theoretically. It says the Gemara, if it's to teach and to learn, it's different. He wasn't doing to perform Kishuf, Lema'an, performance of Kishuf. He was doing it to understand the ways of Kishuf. The Gemara, and Yodzayin here, Masechet Sanhedrin says that the ways of Dayanim is they need to know about Kishuf. You're encountering a person who might be involved in Kishuf. You need to know how to counteract that, how to deal with that. The Amar Mor, after all, the teaching is, the Torah says you should not learn to do like the ways of the non-Jews. To do, to perform it for the sake of Kishuf. That you're not allowed to do. You're allowed to learn in order to teach and to rule and instruct accordingly. Amen.